Tappers, what's up? It is the Tuesday edition of the Daily Tap. Hope you're doing well. Brackets, I'm sure, are busted. It's okay. We're all there. We're all sort of hanging in there, scrapping to survive. We're going to talk about the tournament and wonder if this is the worst showing for a conference in the last 10 years with what the Big Ten did this weekend. We'll talk about that. We're also going to talk about if the Bucks should really consider load managing Giannis throughout the remainder of the regular season, given what we saw against Indiana, or is that an overreaction to just one game? Lastly, we'll talk about the Aaron Rodgers potential restructure and what that might mean for A, the future of this team, as well as Jordan Love. I guess it's A, it's B, it's all the same. But we're going to start with the NCAA tournament. It is now on to the Sweet 16. It goes quick. I I always kind of marvel in the NCAA tournament because it really is just three weeks. And it's so succinct and it's so perfect in a way of like it's really three weekends. And you get two full weekends and then you get one Saturday, Monday, and then that's it. And I think that they've done a really good job with sort of the setup in Indianapolis. And it was a really fun tournament. I think today was probably the worst day of the four. If you had to rank it, the first day was incredible. Um, the I think yesterday was unbelievable at certain times. So I think I would probably rate it as we had probably go Friday, Sunday, Saturday, and then Monday. I think that's how I would rank it. Um, There were some good games on Saturday, though. You had the Creighton USB. You just didn't have that big upset until the end of the day with Abilene Abilene Christian over Texas. But we're not here to talk about that. We're obviously here to talk about the Big Ten. Um, This is a local podcast, you know, Wisconsin. So we have to talk about the conferences that be uh, Big Ten, Big East. And the Big Ten is really going to be highlighted as one of the bigger losers in the you know college basketball landscape. Now, the Big 12 also kind of fell flat on their face, right? We heard a lot about the Big 12 this year, and they had seven teams in. Only one is going to the Sweet 16. The Pac-12 is making up 25% of the Sweet 16 with Oregon, UCLA, USC, and Oregon State all being a part of it. That's very impressive for what they have. And it's it's really something to marvel at. But as for the Big Ten, there was so much hype around the Big Ten this year. Big Ten was the storyline. There were great games every, every night out. You had two number one seeds. You had a two seed. You had a four seed. And only one of those teams, the team who ironically kind of struggled down the stretch, Michigan, is going to be playing in the Sweet 16 against Florida State. Everyone else fell flat on their face. And so many people are saying that this is one of the worst performances from a Power 5, or not even a Power 5, but from the top conference that was there. I hate the term Power 5, and I I should like zap myself when I say it, especially for college basketball, because as a Big East guy, you know, we're part of that too. I think Power conferences is the better way to say it, Um, but I just, I forget about it because my brain is so baked from college football. But yes, the team that had the most amount of bids, so the nine bid Big Ten only results in one that's 11%. So I set out to find out, I did a little research project to say, all right, is this the worst showing of any conference 
that we have in the last 10 years. I just did 10 years. Didn't want to go too far with it. I was like, all right, we'll do 10 years. We'll start in 2011. We'll go all the way to 2021. And we'll take the best conference or the conference with the most bids. And then we will composite score. We'll take that average. We'll see what their percentage is. And then we'll get the answer of where did the Big Ten finish? And let me tell you, folks, the Big Ten did not finish well here in 2021 with 11% and a composite score of five. Their average seed was 5.55. The only one that compares where you're like, all right, maybe the Big Ten has a little bit of a case is the ACC in 2017. The ACC in 2017 also had nine teams. They only got one to the final four. They had a composite seed score of 5.11. So their seed was a little higher than what the Big Ten had. But that one team, North Carolina, won the national championships. So if Michigan wins the national championship, if Michigan carries it, they stun Gonzaga, they go all the way and they win the tournament, all is forgiven. No no one really will care. Michigan will be the team that kind of carried the water for the Big Ten, that put the Big Ten on the map, that at the end of the day, the Big Ten was the best conference, even though they did not show out into March. And they can make the case that, well, the grind of the Big Ten really wore a lot of these teams down, especially Illinois and Ohio State, who played three Big Ten games right before this tournament. And I do think that affected it a little bit. I wish I would have sniffed out the Illinois thing. When I saw A.U. DeSumo, who I really like, I think he's going to be a really good NBA player, doing like the Kobe picture with the Big Ten title, that should have been an immediate red flag that this team was reading their headlines too early. And then when they got punched in the mouth by Loyola, they just didn't want to get off. They get off the mat. It was like a NBA team who was just a random Tuesday fucking night and they just waved the white flag. It's like, do you guys realize you're going home? Like you realize that there is not another game after this. That, but back to the the whole project, it, it really will matter what Michigan does. It is Final Four bust for Michigan, and I know that's a lot of pressure on the Wolverines, but if they don't at least get to the Final Four, then yes, the Big Ten had the worst showing in the last 10 years. It all comes down to Michigan, and they have to at least make their way to the Final Four. If they make their way to the Final Four, I think you can look at it and say, all right, they still at least had one of the last four teams in basketball. And and there are other bad years, but other bad years there are some there's some things around it. You look at it and you're like, "All right, the in 2018, the ACC 5.22, 44% though made the Sweet 16. They had two Elite 8 teams. They didn't get into the Final Four. The Big 10 in 2019 had the most teams at 8, but they had a lower seed composite at 6.1. made the Sweet 16, and they also had one Final Four team in Michigan State. The only one else that where it gets kind of ugly, where you could kind of point to it and say maybe they were worse, was the Big 12 in 2014, where the Big 12 had a seed score of 5.85, so a little higher than what this year a Big 10 has. 28%, so only two Sweet 16 teams, seven in total. They were all out before the Elite Eight. So the Big 12, and the Big 12 did that again in 2015. Seven teams, 
all out before the Sweet 16. 28%, only two teams in. So yes, the Big 12 has had some really bad moments as well in this sort of last 10 year sort of thing. But we're not going to really care about that. We're only going to care about what is in the present. And what is in the present is Michigan being the last beacon of hope and then really wondering where we go from here because it could be one of the more obscure Final Fours that's out there. I know people are going to say, well, there's no blue blood, so the ratings are going to be terrible. You're going to hear a lot of national pundits say that. And I would zag on that a little bit because, all right, you have an undefeated team in Gonzaga. I think there will be a casual interest to see if Gonzaga can go undefeated. That's number one. Number two, you have some big programs in Michigan, UCLA, who was a blue blood, a former blue blood, maybe not at the prominent level that they once were. You have Syracuse, who has a huge following, Michigan, who has a pretty decent following as well. And then you have other fan bases who might not necessarily be basketball schools first, like a Florida State or an Alabama. Arkansas, I think, is kind of in between. I think they can be. I'd argue Oregon is a basketball school uh, just with their success that Dana Altman has had. But those are all prominent universities. It's not like we have a bunch of mid-majors that are crashing this party. Yeah, if your Final Four ends up being something like, I don't know, what would be the worst case Final Four? Think about this. Let's just say Houston. Villanova is also involved, by the way. Villanova, I mean... Is damn right a blue blood at this point as well. So like again, it's it's kind of a ridiculous thing to be like, oh yeah, this is gonna be an absolute disaster ratings wise. It's like no, just the not the normal names are in there anymore, and the landscape of college basketball could be changing. And you wonder why. And it's like, look, these guys just these players don't want to just play for the normal prototypical. They don't want to just be another guy at Kansas. They don't want to be just another guy at North Carolina. They want to kind of pave their own way. Evan Mobley, Cade Cunningham, Jalen Suggs, all would be blue blood players, and none of them were this year. And that says that speaks volumes, in my opinion. So yeah, it's going to be a little different, but it's not that sort of outrageous to think that the ratings aren't still going to be good. Yeah, you don't have that one blue blood team and ratings have been down across the board really no matter the sport. So maybe it'll be down regardless. But still, I'm not one of those people who's like, oh, this is just a disaster for college basketball. They, there's enough good teams there with good followings where I think people are going to pay attention. And as for the Big Ten, it really just comes down to what Michigan does. If Michigan loses to Florida State on Sunday, it is an all-out disaster for the Big Ten. If Michigan goes to the Elite Eight and they lose to Alabama or UCLA, I mean, it's still not great, but at least you're one of the final eight teams. You you can literally you can say, all right, we were part of that final eight. And then if you get to the final four, I think it's all forgiven. And if you win the national championship, no one's going to give a shit. And at the end, of the, then you become it's the first Big Ten title in 21 years. But the Big Ten does have to ask themselves some questions about, are we doing it wrong from a conference perspective? So, and I, I have no idea if this has anything to do with it. And this will be my last thought. I know we kind of bounced talking. I kind of went on a tangent there. But I think the Big Ten has to consider whether they want to play their tournaments on Sunday. I realize 
The CBS spot on Sunday afternoon is valuable. I think there would be a lot of schools that would take it. Like, I think if you ask the Big East if they would take Madison Square Garden on a Sunday night right before the tournament, I think the Big East would jump at it. I think the ACC would jump at having the last game of the day. I think the Big 12 would too. So I I necessarily don't think any of these, these conferences wouldn't jump at the idea of being the lead-in for the NCAA tournament, but I do wonder if that is affecting things a little bit, especially in this tournament where everybody was already in Indianapolis, and did that sort of affect the psyche a little bit? Did that sort of give people sort of an over, you know, overconfidence, like an over, you know, an overabundance of swagger? I don't know, but you do have to ask yourself: Are there changes that need to be made for the Big Ten? in order to sort of have this, or is it just a blip on the radar? If you look at 2019, the last time the Big Ten had the most uh, teams in the tournament, you had a Final Four team, you definitely had a little bit lower seeds, but you three got teams made the, the Sweet 16. One made the Final Four, that's pretty damn good. And in 2016, the Big Ten did have seven teams. They they had lower composite scores than the Big 12 and ACC. By the way, the ACC in 2016, think about this. They had seven teams in. They tied with the Big Ten, the Pac-12, and the Big 12. 85% went to the Sweet 16. Two went to the Final Four. One runner-up. That is the pinnacle of top conference. That's kind of what the Big 12 or Pac-12 is leaning towards. But it's crazy because there it's a real situation where the Pac-12 might not get one Final Four team in. Even though the Pac-12 is so successful, and we're going to be talking a lot about the Pac-12 all this week leading up, probably their best shot is UCLA. But even then, I, I think UCLA is in a really tough spot playing Alabama and then playing either Michigan or Florida State. So I don't even know if UCLA is in a great position. Maybe Oregon State playing Loyola and then playing either Houston or Syracuse. Maybe Oregon State's that team. I don't know. But it's hard to imagine the Pac-12 really getting a team into that final final four. So it'll be interesting to see if the Pac-12 sort of live up to that media darling hype in the second second uh, weekend, but we'll see about the Big Ten. It all rests on Michigan's shoulders. We'll see if they're up for the challenge. Moving on to the Milwaukee Bucks. So the Milwaukee Bucks take care of business. They beat up the Indiana Pacers tonight, one forty to one thirteen. It was a dominating performance by Milwaukee from the jump. They had 48 points in the first quarter. It was really over before it even got started. Now, the Bucs did not have Giannis Antetokounmpo in this game. The Indiana Pacers did not have Malcolm Brogdon or Miles Turner. Pacers were coming off a back-to-back where they played a overtime game against the Miami Heat. So it was sort of a load management game, getting rid of Brogdon and Turner. It does seem like the NBA is, we're kind of in the dog days where there's more guys resting than there really is the last few weeks. It's definitely something to pay attention to if you're gambling on these games, by the way. Uh, definitely something I ran into tonight with Giannis. Now, granted, I got real lucky, but I loaded up on the Bucks. I was like, oh my God, they're a five-point favorite. Like, I know Indiana's been playing better, but they own Indiana. They always play well against Indiana. And it proved out without Giannis, so I was very thankful that. I've ha- I did have kind of a rough night, but that's because I was just an idiot on some parlays. And if I would have 
Yeah, we don't need to get into it. You guys don't care. It's just like a fantasy team or just like your bracket. You don't give a fuck. I still thought that tonight was kind of illuminating, though, for the Milwaukee Bucks. I know some nights you're just hot and some nights you're just on fire. Doesn't matter. It is working out so well. But with Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton out on the court together without Giannis, the Bucks are such a better team than they were last year without Giannis. And it was Eric Bledsoe and Middleton leading the way. And the Bucks have such a cohesive unit right now. They decided to stay, put Pat Connaughton in the lineup instead of Bobby Portis. It actually worked out really well. Connaughton played great. He had 20 points. He was 5 of 7 from 3. Bobby Portis off the bench had a double-double. 18 points, 10 rebounds. It was really strong. Brooke Lopez looked really good in this game. So I'm starting to wonder if the Bucks need to look at load managing Giannis when they can't. Like, it's pretty clear Giannis won't, is not going to win the MVP for a third straight time. He should. He deserves it. And maybe this will be a case against him, honestly. They'll be like, well, look how good they do without Giannis. Like, why? They don't even need Giannis, which is not true. Um, there will be games where they need Giannis. And it seems like Giannis will be playing on, on Wednesday. Dude was acting a fool. It was like the dude wanted to play uh, tonight, but the Bucks are like, yeah, we're, gonna, we're playing four games in six days. Why don't we just say your knee is sprained and you'll be all right for for Wednesday, right? Okay, cool. So that's what happened, and that and that's perfectly fine. That there's really nothing wrong with that. If that's how the buck the Bucks wanted to do it, I don't hate that idea. And now that the Bucks see what this team can do without Giannis, and I think this, they're two and zero now with without having Giannis in the in the lineup this year. I think you can start doing this more often and look at opportunities where it's like, all right, we're going to give Giannis the night off and we trust our team. And we trust that our team can do this, especially when you see Brooklyn not going to have Kyrie Irving for this three-game West Coast trip. He has a personal family issue, whatever the hell that means. Obviously, I don't want to be too crass because who knows what's going on. So hopefully that's all right. And now James Harden also is dealing with some neck soreness. So now Brooklyn could go on this three-game trip and not have their big three. And that could easily be a walk-in for the Bucs to then reclaim that second spot and make sure that maybe they're going to get that number one spot with Embiid out. But right now, it just seems like we're in sort of that load management dog days phase. And there's, I think there would be nothing wrong with the Bucs sort of carefully crafting Giannis's minutes. Now, I, we've seen what they've looked like without Drew Holiday. It hasn't really been pretty. I don't think Drew Holiday can take nights off. I really don't. I think the, he's too valuable to what the Bucks are doing. I think we've seen enough evidence there. With Chris Middleton, I don't know. With Brooke Lopez, we've already said that a few times. We banged that drum of like, he looks so much better because he got a few days off. And that needs to happen when... The Bucs are kind of stacking games on top of each other. And so he doesn't get fatigued. And they know the playoffs are going to be more condensed than they were the last time. Well, they were very condensed for the bubble. I think they're going to be very condensed again. And so it's going to be really important that Giannis, Holiday, Middleton, Lobet, they all have fresh legs. And so that's, and that's really going to be the goal. So I wonder if this game kind of unlocks the thought of, hey, maybe once a week, maybe once every two or three weeks, we can give Giannis a breather, let him take a night off, let him just kind of goof around on the bench and have fun with his teammates and just enjoy it. And I'm I'm okay with it, if, especially if they keep winning games. 
And would I have been mad if they lost to the Pacers tonight? Not really. Um, you know, Giannis wasn't playing. It, it is what it is. I would have been mad that I lost my bet. But I, I wouldn't have been mad that the Bucks lost that game. And now they play a Boston team who did not have Kemba Walker or Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum uh, had an illness tonight. And now they took Memphis to overtime even without those two guys. So really gritty effort by the Celtics. But now they go kind of in must-win mode against Milwaukee. Like that, that does worry me a little bit. Um, on Wednesday and Friday that the Celtics are going to be in sort of a must-win mentality. But we'll see. And who knows? The Celtics could have a different roster on Friday and, and, and kind of be in a transitional phase if they do make trades. I think there's no guarantee if the Celtics make a deadline deal that the guys they bring in are going to be ready to go on Friday night. So that that could work to the Bucks' advantage. So we'll just see. But yeah, I think there's going to be more rest opportunities for Giannis. And who knows, maybe even he takes the Knicks game off too because they have that big West Coast trip. And that West Coast trip is not going to be fun, even though you're playing a Lakers team that is a shell of themselves, the Clippers team that I have no idea what they are. You're still you still got to deal with it, and it's still not fun. It's it's not it's never a a good time when you're going up against both the Lakers and Clippers on back to back. Not it well, it's not back to back. It's the even or night, but still, it's 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 a tough road trip. It's like seven or eight straight games. The Bucks are barely at home starting next Monday night when they get ready to play the Clippers. Let's finish up the show with a little bit of Aaron Rodgers talk. So Aaron Rodgers. Uh, rumors are that Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers are working on a contract extension. They're working on a restructure. As noted, I think by Michael Silver, they could have easily converted Rodgers' uh, salary into bonus and freed up some cap space, and they didn't have to consult with Rodgers to do that. They could just do it and not think twice about it. But because they haven't done that, A, they're not making any moves in free agency because they have no money to spend. But B, they want to work with Rodgers on this deal. So they're working behind the scenes with Rodgers. Mike Silver, I think, is an Aaron Rodgers guy. I don't know. He pops up every now and again. And I do think he's a Rodgers confidant because of the Cal connection. They both went to Cal. So I think there is something there. Um, But yeah. It seems to be on all accounts that the Packers are trying to work something out, and that's why they are the lone team to not make a move in free agency. And before the Big Ten stuff, I was, that was actually going to be at my open because I'm going to be like, doesn't it make you feel a little bit better that you kind of know why they're not doing anything in free agency? I haven't really looked at a lot of signings where I'm like, wow, I wish they would have would have got him. I mean, Kendall or uh, Kyle, not Kendall. Kendall's his brother. Kyle Fuller over the weekend was rough because it, it, they were interested in Kyle Fuller, and he takes a one-year, nine-point-five million-dollar deal to play with Denver and Fangio, and it's like he wanted to play for Fangio again. Why he wanted to play for Fangio again? And the Packers, I don't even know if they checked in on him. They they were not among the teams rumored. Um, why you wouldn't want to play for a team like Green Bay, that's his choice, right? If he wants to go live in Denver, Denver, cool city, uh, playing for Fangio, great. Now the Packers are trying to run a Fangio-like system, but I don't know if they even tried to sell him on that idea. They might be locked in on this Rodgers thing and making a Rodgers contract deal happen. Now, if that does, in fact, go down, if the Packers do 
bring home Aaron Rodgers and they give Aaron Rodgers a brand new deal that basically wipes out the sort of lame duck year of 2021, then what does that do for Jordan Love? Now, some might say, well, they'll work on an out and then in three or four years, they'll they'll deal Aaron Rodgers. And they've there are a lot of teams that have figured out ways to deal quarterbacks and deal with dead money. But in today's NFL, I can't see Jordan Love, you know, spending four years on the bench like Aaron Rodgers or four or five, three. I think Aaron Rodgers did three years on the bench. I can't, I just can't see that happening. Like, I just cannot imagine Aaron Rodgers spending three, or I'm sorry, Jordan Love spending more than three years on the bench. Like, that's, that doesn't happen in today's NFL. It happened back in the years of Rodgers. And so they're going to say, all right, well, we're going to make a deal for Jordan Love and we're going to start all over again. And now people will look at it and say it was an absolute disaster of a pick. I would disagree. But they do need Jordan Love to be on tape and they do need Jordan Love to show some things for people to bite. I don't know if you can trade Jordan Love without any tape. Like I have this fascination with trading Stephon Gilmore for Jordan Love or I, another one that could be potential that I'm not entirely big on, but like Zach Ertz for, for Jordan Love, right? Um, and maybe that's more on the table because Jalen Hurts is is sort of unknown, right? You don't have that much tape on Jalen Hurts. And so maybe an Eagles team that could be rebuilding this year could have more interest in a guy like Jordan Love than, say, a New England team who just retooled their entire roster, I don't think they're going to be bringing in a rookie quarterback to play football for them. And I know Belichick really likes uh, Stephon Gilmore. Like he is a, that's like one of Belichick's guys. And so it doesn't, even though Gilmore seemed frustrated last year, it doesn't seem like Belichick will, will want to trade him. I just, I've kind of taken that vision and probably moved past it. But I do wonder if they would start reaching out to teams this year before there's any tape, before there's any any sort of information. Be like, hey, what's your interest? You get a, a first round draft pick. Oh, you missed out. You missed out in the first round, Washington. Well, what about Jordan Love? And try to either a accumulate draft picks or try to potentially look at other options and look at other players that you could help the Packers look at, you know, uh, another example would be the Saints. Now, I, I, again, I think they're pretty sold on Jameis and Taysom Hill, but could you say, all right, we're going to give you Jordan Love and give us back Marshawn Lattimore. Again, I don't know if the contracts work. I'm just sort of thinking out loud here, but I do wonder if Jordan Love's time in Green Bay is done. It'll basically depend on how that contract looks. If the contract's one of those things where it's like they restructured it it's not a lame duck. Rodgers is going to be here for at least two more years, maybe three, and then it would be Jordan Love's time. Okay, then then that makes a little sense. But will Jordan Love be patient enough to hold on? I think Rodgers was, but that was not today's NFL climate. Now the climate of the NFL is people ask for trades all the time. I, I mean, what are the odds that Jordan Love doesn't ask for a trade right after Roger signs that deal. That to me would be the 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 next step. And if the Packers would be going down with the Rogers ship and they kind of change paths, all right, and then let's do it all over again. And I know that it will infuriate fans, but look, 
Jordan Love was the last guy on their draft board. I can't emphasize this enough. I've said it a f- I don't know how many fucking times. But they wanted Brandon Ayuk. Brandon Ayuk was the receiver they were going to draft. He fit the profile. You'll hear us talk. I got I went on a really big rant in our receivers pod that Murph and I did for the draft manifesto. Um, that will be out, I think that's next Wednesday you'll get that. So quarterbacks coming out tomorrow, should get real excited for that. Running backs on Thursday, we're going back to back, getting you kind of all gassed up, and then next week we'll do wide receivers and tight ends. So I'll I'll save what I, I said in that podcast because I, I think the rant's really good. But what I will add is just remember, they wanted Ayuk. They were interested in Justin Jefferson. The board did not fall the way they wanted to. They traded up for Jordan Love because I think they were out of first round options. And they did not want to trade back for God knows what reason. Now, maybe they should have and they could have drafted a Michael Pittman, let's say, right? And But I don't know. Maybe they didn't have that much interest in Michael Pittman. Who knows? We'll never really know. I think that's the thing. I would love to have a scotch with Brian Gunacus and ask him like, break down the 2020 draft for me completely off the record. Like, how did it go? Who did you want to draft? What were you thinking about doing? What moves did you make? What was your reaction when San Francisco drafted Ayuk? Why why didn't you go after, you know, T. Higgins or Pittman? I would love to know all those things. But we never will, right? Unless someone else is there. I just got a notification from my uh, computer that my battery is running low, so I will sign off now. It's a good sign. They're like, hey, you've said enough. It's okay. All right, Wednesday. Great show. We're going to be doing the quarterbacks of the Building the Murphs Draft Manifesto. You're going to love it. Um, So we'll do that. It'll be in the middle of the show. I'll probably have an intro talking about something that's going on. And then maybe an end if needed. Uh, If it's not needed, we'll just do that. And then I'll say goodbye and we'll be good to go. But yeah, we'll kind of have a nice little sandwich of me, then me and Murph, and then me again. So all right. Hope you guys enjoy that. I'm really excited for you guys to hear it. Uh, We'll talk tomorrow. All right. See you later. Bye.